Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life, mm -hmm. and you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Here we are back in studio. Has it been a week already? That's right. It has. It went really quick. Holy smokes. I guess when you're out there on the water, Tommy, getting it done and having a great time, the week just kind Time of flies. flies. Yes, indeed. What a week it was, huh? Yeah, it was excellent. It's capped off by this morning. Me and the beard got back out on the water today, and let me tell you, it's uh, it did not disappoint. I saw that. There is some fish to be had, my friend, and yeah. uh, with this tonight is kind of a recap of what you were exposed to last uh, Saturday. Mm -hmm. We opted to go Saturday. Talked about last week on Thursday. Thursday show and we got out on Saturday uh, conditions I'm telling you you got you you were served up on a golden platter man I mean yeah, it was everything yeah. came together we're gonna delve into it deep yeah. tonight and talk to you all about how and why we found success what Tommy took in mm -hmm. from this entire experience just uh, putting it all together. And we've we've wrapped that up in a couple of videos we're gonna show this evening a couple segments will be in videos and uh, we're getting into all that but again Based, you know, what we did Saturday and then what we're able to go back and kind of duplicate today, mm -hmm. albeit completely different conditions. Right. Yeah, and we're going to dive into that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to dissect that because as we mentioned along the way when we're fishing Saturday, you know, conditions change pretty quickly in the mm -hmm. river environment, right? Mm -hmm. And you got to be able to adjust to those conditions. And so that's kind mm -hmm. of what's been going on this week as we transitioned into even this morning this uh, transitioning to those conditional changes and how you still are able to find success. I think that's the key to successful river fishing is adjust yeah. to your conditions daily and find ways and means to go out there and be successful. So mm -hmm. we're going to break all that down before we get too, uh, too deep here. But uh, hey, I want to remind everybody Fish on Northwest is presented by Better Homes and Gardens Pacific Commons. Real estate located in Puyallup, Washington, of course, our good friends out there at Defiance Marine. Defiance Marine manufacturers of the Defiance, the Arima, of course, the amazing Allied Boat Series. Check out everything Defiance Marine has going on at defiancemarine.com. And our good buddies, Tommy, over there at Phoenix Protective Corp., JC and the gang, phoenixprotectivecorp.com. If you're a previous military and or police, please do yourselves a favor. Check out phoenixprotectivecorp.com and uh, look for a future with them amazing company to work for so with that hey also we got to remind everybody to jump over to our our uh web page yes web page is uh mm -hmm. up and going has been for quite some time lots of great content over there if i can find tom i'm going to get loading some fresh blogs on there mm -hmm. but man you know time is of the essence anymore so uh plenty going on over there lots of literature to read our buddy ken witt who will be fishing with me tomorrow the hunting dad he has some really great uh blogs and stories on there uh, you can get to our online store via www.fishhuntnw.com. Check out all the online uh, opportunities there within the store. And things are still, Tommy, believe it or not, 20% off. Uh, as of today, we still have inventory. We're blowing out. Getting Beautiful. ready for that sportsman show, right? That's right. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a very successful outing for us. And like I said at the uh, beginning here, we're going to recap that through tonight's show mm -hmm. um and and just taking full advantage and opportunity of what you know mother nature gave us timing yeah. conditions openings all that mm -hmm. but hey we want to know there's been a lot of folks following us who have been out on the water this past week 
And uh, since some of these additional opportunities open in the coastal region here, <clears throat> October 1, we are a full week into it now. What have you guys been out doing? Where, and not where you've been fishing, but, you know, exactly. But how have you been uh, going about it? Are you out in the saltwater still? Are you, uh, you know, still fishing Puget Sound or out here in the harbor? Are you uh, chasing them into the tributaries and the main stems? How are you finding them? Are you finding more coho or chinook? And uh, are you a bait fisherman? You like throwing spoons, you like throwing spinners, twitching jigs. What's been getting it done for you? Just pop it on here. One, tell us where you're tuning in from. Two, let us know how it's been going for you. And three, Tommy, of course, if they're struggling and, and, and mm -hmm. difficulty in finding success with the abundance of opportunity out there that we have going on right now, uh, let us know. Maybe we can give you some insight, talk a little about uh, some things to try, maybe some means of uh, changing up your game plan find you sell, help you find some success. So Well, you know, and so I've got a unique perspective on that, right? Yeah. Of, you know, coming from somebody that's never done a, a tributary, you know, river fishery like we did this weekend. Um, I've got a whole list of insights that I'm ready to share. Yeah. And I think it's going to be awesome for those that are just getting into it because, you know, new, new set of eyes, new, new perspective, right. you know, <laughs> trying to figure out what matters and what doesn't. Um, we're going to dive into that here in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. no, that I'm, I can't wait to hear your perspective on the whole thing as you took it all and absorbed that day and the success you found and just, you know, yeah, Tommy Donlin's takeaways. So running down the show for tonight, you know, fall salmon, as we've mentioned, is in full swing. If you're not uh, swinging for the fences right now, you're missing out because it is on. And mm -hmm. Team FHN hit the river this last week in a word as we posted on our social media, it was flat out epic. So uh, with that, we are bringing you tonight part one, uh, Fall Salmon Bobber Down, Team FHN on the Water, part one. Then we're going to bring it back in studio, and we're going to dissect that. Basically, kind of the conditions we had, we're going to really delve into techniques we presented, what was working, specific types of bait that was getting it done compared to some other options we had with us, uh, what, what jig patterns were getting it done. We're going to talk how that equates to what the flows were doing at the time and why we found success in what we were doing. And, Tommy, your takeaways are going to be uh, listed within that segment as well. So people mm -hmm. need to stay tuned for that because you're really going to break it down, like you said, from fresh eyes perspective, yeah. right? And then, of course, tonight the spotlight is on our good buddy Eric Broughton. Tommy, you remember Eric. He mm -hmm. uh, spent a little, We spent a little time, Jordan and I, over there on the east side chasing turkeys with him in the spring and had a fantastic outing and very successful opportunity. Uh, Eric is jumping on with us tonight. He is a muzzleloader elk hunter uh, and successful in his own right, albeit this last four or five days he did not bag an elk this time. But um, he has some great, great insight that he wants to share with folks. And we are very curious about this whole muzzleloader thing. That's my next progression. I'm really right. looking forward to getting uh, equipped and ready next year for muzzleloader elk. And so Eric's going to break it down for us. We're going to talk muzzleloader elk and things you need to know. And by the time you're done listening to him, you're probably going to get online, start doing your shopping, and figure out yeah. what you want. And if you want a muzzleloader for next year, you should start looking now. Absolutely. Right? And yep. those 209 primers, those two. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, with that, Tommy, we're going to jump out for a quick break. Folks, don't go anywhere. Stick through the break. Part one, fall salmon, bobber down, part one, when we come back right here at Fish Out Northwest. Sportco and Outdoor Emporium is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. It's easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips. 
or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Hey, welcome back, Fish on Northwest. Wayne England, Tommy Dolan here in studio. Mm -hmm. Nicely done. Yeah, Wayne. thanks, Coach. Huh? Yeah. That was one hell of a day. Not going to lie. That was. You, that was uh, something amazing. So now, hey, I want to bring this to you. Fisheries, what you need to know. Presented by Better Homes and Gardens, Pacific Commons Real Estate. And Tommy, this is a fishery you need to know. And now that you know, yeah. you can't tell anybody. I know. Yeah, the, the spot is, <laughs> is very secret. Yeah, I can't tell that anybody. Is, that is the number one thing. Yes. Let's kind of uh, let's kind of recap that, you know, for folks just tuning in and, and kind of some of, you know, what we learned, some takeaways on that. But I'm going to start with, you know, basically the start of your day, it comes down to conditions. And we mm -hmm. talked about it last right. week on the show. Uh, as we were looking, we were getting the rain on Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, Wednesday, Thursday, we had that transitional period where, hey, rivers were on the rise, things were getting off color, mm -hmm. definitely still off color, far more than I wanted to take you out in on Friday. Mm -hmm. But knowing these drainages as I do and knowing the history of them and, you know, the, some of these rivers just opened up and where we're going. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I, I think I even told you, I go, well, if we give it one more day, we're going to hit it right at that optimal time of clarity where we could be out there on day one stuffing plugs and stuff in their face mm -hmm. or we could wait till we get a little more visibility it's going to open up our opportunity of different presentations that i really mm -hmm. want you to be able to do it's yep. one thing sitting in a boat on the troll it's another thing when you're holding that rod and the fish hammers right it. <clears throat> it's one thing if you're sitting in a drift boat on anchor or working plugs down a seam and putting plugs in front of a fish and mm -hmm. watching that rod explode in the rod holder which can be exciting it's too early in the year for me to start wanting to put plugs out in front of the drift boat, man. I want to be, I want to cast, I want to twitch. On. Yeah, all hands yeah. on approach. So, and as it worked out, uh, you know, the egg bite just didn't stop. No. We twitched up a few, but yeah. let's face but it. You're like, oh yeah, go, go pick up the jig. I'm like, no, no I'm good. I'm, I'm good. good. <laughs> I still got a box of eggs here. Uh, the, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the egg bite just did not turn off that day. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, we fished till about 2 o'clock or whatever. We were like, gosh, you know, we've caught enough fish. We got our, we've yeah. kept our hatchery fish now yep. uh, finally towards the end of the day. So it's time to, time to pack her in. But the egg bite just didn't stop. So, you know, the first fish as we watched you uh, work your way through and how to land that fish on a gravel mm -hmm. bar trying to keep it in the water, trying to recognize, is it wild, is it hatchery? Are we going to let mm -hmm. it go? And the importance of reviving that fish until it pulls out of your hand. All those things we worked on first thing in the morning to get start off on the right foot. And then the day just kind of unfolded for us, man. The, the bobbers kept oh, yeah, draining. Oh, yeah, just picked up. And uh, the bait was working great. Now, I will tell you this. We recognized pretty early on, especially with those coho, and there was a gr good number of coho. Mm -hmm. and, and folks would ask, hey, what? What recipe or, you know, what cure did you use? Because you got so many different cures. What cure did you use on those eggs? And I'm here to tell you, in August, when we demonstrate, when I demonstrated in the bait lab, taking those frozen block of eggs mm -hmm. and putting them in that wet brine and adding that can of tuna in oil into that wet brine, that was it. That, that process of utilizing that wet brine to thaw those frozen eggs and cure them as they thaw and then put them in the fridge, and then, you know, I put them back in the freezer because we weren't going to use them. Mm -hmm. I pulled them eggs out, thawed them out, and uh, cut, them, cut them to bait sizes for you so you didn't have to deal with it. And you and Jordan were fishing those pretty much the entire day. Yeah, pretty religiously. And uh, I had my other eggs that had some sardine, you know, homemade sardine powder in them, and those were working mm -hmm. first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. But the coho really were latching on to those previously frozen, uncured, mm -hmm. wet brined with tuna, for whatever reason, man, those coho were just tearing those up. Pretty soon we're all fishing those eggs, and yep. the coho were just eating them up. So, Well, you know, and the thing that I was really surprised about with the eggs is that, you know, they're, they're, when you first get the skein out of the fish, you know, it's really, you know, fragile. It's mm -hmm. really fragile. And what I was shocked to see is that, you know, after using the, the Potsky's cure process, you know, your process yeah. that you've developed over time, um, those those eggs stayed in that loop, like, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to last, you know, maybe, you know, one, one cast. cast and it's going to get down there and I'm going to have to reel it back in. I'm going to need some more eggs. But no, you would get, you know, d depending, um, you would get maybe, you know, four, five mm -hmm. casts. I mean, if you didn't get hit, right? Yeah, if you didn't I get mean, hit. We, we had some periods of time there where it was just one after the other. But Yeah, just yeah. nonstop. Fish just, were on the move. Like, you know, river was at about 1,300, 1,400, maybe 1,500. Mm -hmm. 
as stated in the video, we had you know four feet of visibility and continued to clean yep. up as the day progressed. And we got through the morning there, we had full sun on the water, got to four or five, moving towards six feet of visibility. Um, the ideal conditions though, water's dropping, fish are coming out of the salt, mm. and because of the, the little bit of stain in the water versus gin clear, and the level of water, as I had alluded to, those fish are gonna keep moving all day. And we would see it. We would see fish start boiling down the tail out. Hey, they're coming. Pretty soon they come through like a freight train. Bobbers are draining, people are hooking up, we're releasing fish. Mm-hmm. Might hit a lull of five, 10, 15 minutes sometimes. Right. Boom, then all of a sudden another batch of fish. The thing is, we're not just sitting on a hole, beating on old dark fish, right. trying to get one of them to bite to simply catch and release it. These are fish that are on the move. Mm-hmm. We're watching fresh fish move in. We're coming, we got fish coming in with sea lice on them. And uh, they're, they're very snappy, right? Mm-hmm. And we didn't really have to change the other methods uh, because the, the the bait presentation just kept working so well. It did. Yep. Before I jump into what conditions in comparison we had this morning in the same general area, uh, I want to know your top four or five takeaways from that day. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the first thing that I really noticed, because I was watching, you know, never ha- having done this before, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm watching you to see, okay, you know, how is Dwayne, how is he casting? How is he mending his line? And I mean, like the first thing that I noticed is that, um, you know, you were mending your line in such a fashion where there was no slack really between your rod tip and that bobber. So when the when the bobber went down, you're reeling down to it. Right on and it. then it's just a nice, nice steady pull, right? Um, I was noticing with mine, it was like, man, I was trying to mend and it wasn't mending, and I'm like, what the heck's the difference? And so I'm looking at yours, and I see all this spectra, you know, going to the float and this short top shot, and then I realized the rod that I was using, I had like, I don't know, 25 feet of mono on there, and it's just, <laughs> it's just like super heavy, right? And the water's yeah. dragging, it, dragging down. it down. And, um, you know, and, and then, you know, you two clowns, of course, you and Jordan were like, oh, no, no, you're fine. Oh, that, that the top shot's perfect. No, I'm catching fish. You should be catching fish. I'm like, get out of here, man. And so we, we <laughs> brought it in, man. we brought it in, and we took all that mono off, right? I we took really, about 10 feet off for you. No, it was about 50. Mm, anyway, no. um, we took a bunch of mono off so, so that I didn't... You won't believe me if hey, I tell hey. you that I had the same exact length of top shot on you. Yeah, yours. after you took my top shot off. So anyway, <laughs> tell you what. Okay. If you... Here's, here's a lesson learned, though. Yeah, you, yeah. If you yeah. got... You got... It's not your turn to talk yet, no, so no. you got to wait a second here. So you know that if you have too much mono in there, it's super heavy, right? It drags down and sinks. And it drags it down mm-hmm. and it sinks. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you can get that slack out of the line. And I would tell you that it's the same situation as when you are kite fishing in Florida mm-hmm. and you're using super heavy mono and you're using a pilchard out there and it's going through the kite clip and, and down the water. You've got all this line hanging down that's creating weight. So you actually have to go to a lighter monofilament mm-hmm. instead of using 30 pound there. You got to go down to 20, right? It's sure. got to be light. And it's the same thing drag. as you've got to, you've got to get rid of that drag. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mending the line. And so after that, I was really conscious of, you know, how much line is there? Where is the line relative to the float? Um, and then just making sure it's completely mended. So when that bobber goes down, it's a couple of cranks. And we're on. Yeah, you're hooked right? up. Yeah, you're yeah. not uh, having to collect a bunch of excess line. One of the biggest failure points, and, and good good for you to pick up on that, is folks will let their bobber get down below them, and they just keep letting line spool off of their reel, or if it's mm-hmm. spinning reel, they're right. you know flipping line out, and they let that downriver line belly because that braid floats. They get that downriver line belly pulling past the float, a big loop. The other thing that does, especially if their float is in slower water than the mm-hmm. mid current seam. That mm-hmm. water against that line friction will push and drag that bobber unnaturally faster through right. the water yep. it is in than the water that the line is in, if that makes sense. So mending line is important. I always try to keep it within a foot or two of the float mm-hmm. so I don't disrupt or you know change the, uh, the angle of direction and or I'm not falsely holding back the float. I'm not speeding up the float by letting too much mm-hmm. line drag the float down river. Mm-hmm. So... It's one of those learned curves that once you get it nailed, uh, you can see the difference. So yeah. for sure. What else you got? You know, so the next thing is you, you have to be able to read the water, right? And so, um, you know, knowing where the seam is and knowing where that hole is going to be, finding the slower moving water and then where the water picks up speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that one hole that we were fishing, you probably had, 
you know, a three to five foot area where if you didn't lay your bobber in that in that three to five foot area, you just weren't going to get bit. Sure. Right. Because it wasn't going to travel the right path, you know, down to where that hole was. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I think that's that's really important to be able to make observations of of how the water's moving and then, you know, knowing where the holes are. Mm -hmm. Right. Too. I mean, one great way to indicate where that actual hole is, is the drop off in ledges. Right. So mm -hmm. we set our float to a certain depth. And when you cast to the top end of that hole, and your bobber is pointing down river a little bit, like I showed in, in the video, over-exaggerated that depth, it's okay if you're not getting hung up because you're, you're, you know, based on the way the hole's set up, that once that bait clears and drops into the deeper part of that hole and mm-hmm. pendulums off that edge, mm-hmm. you're gonna be to depth of where the fish are. Now, if you're dragging up top, and let's say it's six foot and you're dragging, mm-hmm. and your hole drops in at nine feet off a ledge, and you go, well, I'm dragging up top, so I set my bobber to five feet because I don't want it to drag. I am four feet above those fish when it, dra- yep. when it gets over the meat of the hole, right? Mm-hmm. So we use our bobber indicator to denote drops in depths and also, you know, different contours of the bottom. And then you just, it's kind of like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh the odds. I'm going to drag mm-hmm. up top because I know it's going to pendulum in the meat of the hole, and that's mm-hmm. going to be the depth that those fish are going to be at. And that's yep. exactly how that hole fishes, along with many others, once you get that figured out, you're going to be on the fish. Absolutely. Yep. Say so another thing I learned is, you know, and you guys, um, you know, because you knew that I never have done this fishery before, you're like, oh, well, this guy must not know how to cast. So let's give him a spinning reel. Right. And I, I tell you what, I, I don't care if you got to use a spinning reel, you got to use a spinning reel. But in terms of fighting the fish, a spinning reel coffee grinder is possibly you know the worst thing that you could have in fighting a fish right unless you're twitching yeah yeah i agree that's why i use well fighting a fish fighting a fish conventional is always better Mm -hmm. and then i said give me you know give me that bait caster i mean well it wasn't exactly like that i mean i broke the one rod because i was like (laughs) i got to get rid of this thing Dwayne wants me to keep fishing it how do i get rid of it i'm just gonna break Uh, the thing and so i did yeah so he did Um, and boy did you break it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know what, though, going to the baitcaster, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, lesson learned, just spend your time working with a baitcaster, getting really good with that and use that because that is way more ergonomic to fight a fish with um, than a spinning reel. Now, the other thing that I'll say, and I even asked you on those on those baitcasters and you'll see them in the video. They're just like, man, they're tiny. Right. But they got 25, 30 pounds of drag. They're just built. Um, but I asked you, I'm like, man, these are great. Do they make them for men? Yeah. Because the handles are tiny on those Oddly things. Oddly enough, and I don't, though, you know, my hands, so my bare paws are look, just a little bit bigger than your little and tiny And Jordan hands. would tell you this, too. Uh, I am running the Abu Garcia Revo Beast, which is one of the larger bait casters available for this yeah. type of fishing. I mean, literally is. One of the biggest reels I've ever used. <clears throat> and it is it is plenty big for what we're doing. And I don't need that oversized handle on there. I uh, do. It has 22 pounds of drag. It's a phenomenal reel. I've been using them for years. One of the best reels I've ever used. Mm-hmm. And it is an upside. They call it a beast for a reason. It is an mm-hmm. oversized reel mm-hmm. that, you know, for good reason. I got 40-pound or 50-pound braid on them. I run a 25-pound top shot. I'm running 20 or 25-pound leader. When I hook into these Chinook in rivers that uh, you actually can't keep them, I want to get these fish in and let them go. Yep. So I am gearing up to be successful and, and release fish unharmed. And it works, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know you joke about the difference of our gear on the river compared to what you're used to on the salt water, but there's really no comparison. I'm you not making fun of it. I, just, break, right? I, need a, I, need a, I need a handle that fits in these, you know, these big meat, meaty hands that I got. You what know did what you saying? find the difference, uh, you know, fighting the fish and just ergonomically ha- comfort in, in that rod? Plus the rod that that is on is 10 and a half foot. The other rod yeah. you're using is nine and a half foot, which makes right. mending line a little more difficult with the mm-hmm. spinning rod. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is the line coming off the spinning reel compared to the bait caster. When you're float fishing, to yep. let it on a good smooth operating reel to be able to allow, allow mm-hmm. that line to pay out smoothly yes. versus a spinning reel, you're constantly trying to get it off the spool, right? Right. Went right. away from those years ago. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad you can see the difference. There's a reason I started you off on the spinning rod. You had to graduate to the big boy yeah. club. So yeah. what's your final note there? Um, no, I mean we we've kind of covered this, but you really gotta you really gotta go to know, right? You've got to in order to learn these rivers, you just have to go and experience them, 
And I mean, I think I think the best way to do that, if if you're new to a river, I think the best way to do that is probably to take your drift boat down it and you know investigate all of the different holes and mm-hmm. kind of learn the holes. But mm-hmm. you know, one of the, one of the other things that you know you talked about because I was asking, well, like when do you run a bobber egg, you know, setup versus when do you bobber dog it, right? You know, and what you said was, well, like hey, if you're just you're drifting down the river and you're not sure, um, you know, how deep the holes are or, or what the certain you know you know, what they look like, um, you bobber dog it, right? Because now you've got a presentation that's near the bottom in the strike zone and you're not as worried about it. But if you, you know, you get a feel for, okay, we're now we're on the bank, you know where the hole is, um, you've got some time to adjust that stop, you can really dial in the bobber eggs. Yeah. And so it swings into that mm-hmm. hole perfectly. Yep. Um, you know, so that was just another thing that I learned. And then, you know, I saw, you know, the, you know, Jordan's jigs, and you're like, oh, you know, twitch the jigs. And I'm like, hey, well, we got we got bait left. We got eggs. There's <laughs> we still eggs got left. Bait. You know, I can't yeah. leave. I can't leave something that's successful, right? That's working so um, well. But, yeah. I mean, you, you guys got them on jigs, too. And, I mean, I don't know. When I look at those jigs, I just can't wait to go back to Rufus Woods. Oh, I know. That's that's what I see. Well, <laughs> to get a coho on those jigs is ever bit as uh, enjoyable as those big fish at Rufus oh, Woods for as sure. well. Yeah. And uh, now that you bring that up, you know, today it couldn't be polar opposites or 180 degrees opposite, whatever you want to say. Compared to our conditions last week to what Jordan and I experienced mm-hmm. today, river was at half volume, uh, almost gin clear. The clarity was like forever, right? So much smaller water, much higher visibility. The egg bite wasn't happening first thing in the morning, which I kind of expected. Uh, so we are getting fish moving through the hole, and yep, sure enough, reactionary bites on twitching jigs and, of course, casting mm-hmm. spinners across the current seam and dragging them slowly through the, through the holes where the fish were kind of piling in, these fish were on the move to the point where they're busting uh, water down the tail out. You see them coming in, the coho are jumping, they get into the hole, we're catching fish. Um, and then as they continue to move, you know, I'm recognizing, hey, I got a nice little current seam up top there. You want to talk mm-hmm. about the bobber dog and or when you're standing idle, uh, float drifting, because we're drift fishing with a float, I love the opportunity to take that piece of running water much like steelhead water when you have traveling coho and put those eggs on there naked, nothing else, no mm-hmm. corky, no nothing, simple eggs in your bait loop under a bobber uh, dogging setup or float drifting with a stick lead, throw it up in that current seam and let it just tap on through. And that was also very successful in getting to the coho today once the bait bite took off. So, mm-hmm. you know, drastic change in conditions. And you kind of just said it, you won't know this until you get out and experience it. So if we went with the mentality today of what worked uh, Saturday when we were out fishing, mm-hmm. we're like, nope, we're just fishing bait. We're setting our depth because we know what the depth is, right. and we're just going to do it. And now I'm just dragging bottom all day, and I can't get bit, and I don't, can't figure out what's mm-hmm. going on. It's because I have a drastic change in conditions, and I have to adjust to those conditions. And it may be more than just fishing my eggs uh, in a more shallow presentation under my float. It may be completely switching up to technique, as in twitching jigs, yeah. casting spinners with hoochies on them, those types of things. And the only way you learn that is by time and time again, be out. Never stop looking at your conditions prior to the day you plan on going fishing. Watch mm-hmm. the weather multiple days prior to. Know when the rain's coming. Check your river forecast. Check your 10-day outlook. Mm-hmm. Understand how much rain we're getting. Project where your river's going to go. Try to align your sick days <laughs> when you uh, mm-hmm. are on the drop. I'm kidding. Try to align your fishing days when you're on the drop, ideally, mm-hmm. right, in a stabilization and barometric pressure, and you're going to heighten your opportunity for success mm-hmm. every time. That, and follow a lot of my blogs and some of our videos on how-tos uh, when it comes to cure and bait. Guys struggle with bait, Tommy, and for the life of me, I don't understand why. We've been doing this for 15 years, mm-hmm. putting out tons of videos on the how-tos, and dial in your bait program. So if you're still struggling with your bait, um, you know, rewind, go back into some of our content from the past couple of years, go into our uh, Potsky's uh, page and all the blogs and all the how-to videos that we've been posting over there forever. And uh, if there is a bait cure method that you need and haven't found yet, let me know because I got a ton of them out there and all different mm-hmm. types of baits and cures. So it's just all, you know, it's pulling it all together. Yeah. to find success, really. So uh, it was a fantastic day. I was so glad to get you out in our world in that regard, much like when we spend time with you out on the salt. Mm-hmm. It's just making us more well-rounded, uh, you know, of a team. So uh, anyway, 
Questions, comments, concerns, go ahead, hit us up here. Somebody got the Hawks score, let us know. <laughs> Lots of folks popping in here. Hey, you guys are competing with the Hawks. I said, yeah, I know. We set our schedule first. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, okay, buddy, with that, we are going to jump out for a quick break. We come back. Time to dial it into the other passion we have, mm-hmm. and that is uh, getting after some ungulates. And our good friend Eric Broughton <clears throat> has been out in the woods this past week muzzleloading for elk. And if you have not done it and or are considering, stick around through the break. Eric has it dialed. He's got a lot of really insightful information he's willing to share, and you'll want to hear it from him. We come back right here at Fish Hunt Northwest. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride right here in Bremerton, Washington. Arima Boats offers all of our boats with Honda outboard packages so that you can take full advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. With literally thousands of Arima boats on the water throughout the Pacific Northwest, Arima boats are a proven hull design that offers incredible fuel economy and all of the amenities that a serious angler is looking for. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why we back our boats with a lifetime warranty. All of our Arima boats are designed to maximize deck space while also providing ample seating. Contact us today at Arima Boats for all your boating needs and let us help you get out on the water. Today, the need for quality private security services is at an all-time high. Contract Security Service provides day-to-day peace of mind as they protect people and property. Here at Phoenix, we provide service for multiple state and federal contracts with services ranging from uniform, patrol, alarm monitoring, canine detection, executive protection, as well as investigative work. Phoenix client management models are built on understanding our clients' security needs and responding with a tailored program that is best fit for them. Phoenix provides excellent customer service through well-trained, highly motivated security professionals. Recruiting highly qualified officers is the first step in building a strong team. Currently, we are comprised of 70% prior law enforcement and military veterans. If you are prior military or law enforcement, go to www.phoenixprotectivecorps.com and apply today. Hey, welcome back in studio to Winning England, Tommy Donlin. Uh, this little segment, little little change up here, Tommy. This is what I'm going to refer to as the Gun Lab, much as we did last mm-hmm. week with you. This is the Gun Lab presented by Max Lure. <laughs> Go figure that one out. Um, anyway, our good buddy Eric Broughton waiting patiently, and you know, smart man, because at the break he told us he is recording the Hawks game and watching and the watching show. our yeah. show, good which man. is exactly what everybody <laughs> should be doing if you got your head screwed on straight. Anyway, uh, Eric, out of the woods recently and back home in time to uh, spend a few minutes this evening talking with us. Uh, how you doing, man? Is it uh, good to be home or you wish you're still out in the woods? Uh, I had to come home and work, but, uh, man, I wish I was still up there. Um, it's, just, uh, it's, just so, it's just so nice to be hunting, you know, and I, I went solo and it actually was very enjoyable. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, my buddies, I was hunting some private property and, and some public land um, for like four days, and uh, lots of elk sign. My buddies were hunting some of that same ground during archery, and they were showing me all these pictures on the cams of these big bulls. And it's like, you just know that muzzleloader season's coming. My turn, my time's coming. You know, yeah. so it was really. I was looking forward to just getting up there and trying it, you know, and seeing if I could put something together, but, uh, dry conditions. I mean, it's, we need some rain over here and it's really been kind of an unseasonably warm and it's changed, uh, it's changed things. Uh, all of our, uh, wallows dried up. Um, you know, a lot of things have happened because it's so dry. And so those elk have adjusted and gone, other locations oh yeah just made it more difficult so rain is uh the lack of rain you know we're in a drought right now we need some more rain so uh you kind of mentioned um some of the information or intel you got from buddies who were out archery elk sign and whatnot following you on social media i know you post up a picture of a good you know wallow uh you also had some other elk sign around 
Um, were you uh, moving around a bit? I, I also I think I saw you had you had popped in a, a tree stand. So let's just uh, start off talking about how much area were you actually covering? Did you pretty much hunt same terrain, same area most days, or did you move around a lot, or did you stay stationary anchored in a tree stand? So a lot of the a lot of my muzzleloading areas I've learned over time, just like you know fishing spots or anything else, and and it's you know it's it came during muzzleloader deer hunting, you know, or rifle deer hunting late, and you run into elk up in the northeast corner of the state or over mm-hmm. in Okanagan or you know, even even uh, in the ag lands down in the central part of the state, you know, versus you know going to the Clockham or the Yakima area, or it's you know it's similar type hunting. But you'd find these pockets of elk. We have pockets of elk all over eastern Washington, and and in a lot of the private land, public you know areas that uh, you know they kind of intermingle. You can actually find some uh, decent uh, private land elk hunting too. So um, it. Where I was at, I was actually on public land for a couple of days up in Okanagan, and uh, was on uh, some some elk sign up there. Um, and a buddy of mine had actually taken a video of a bull early when he was looking for deer. Told me about it, and so I went up there and kind of put stuff together and found a couple of wallows and the rubs, and I posted a lot of that stuff, you know. And then never could put it together. Um, but then I popped over to my buddy's private land, and they have. 17 cameras up uh, with that uh, the cutty back back link uh, system is just phenomenal we have a you know it's cellular so it goes right to our emails when when one of the cameras gets triggered but you have like a home camera and then you have you can put another camera within 150 yards and it does a big circuit throughout the whole property and so it was just really uh, kind of a cool way of scouting without even you know putting your scent out there and so they use that stuff uh during the archery season quite a bit and knowing which you get a report every day with this cutty back link stuff sure. and, and it's actually phenomenal it shows you how many pictures are taken per camera and, and so you know which hot camera you have or mm-hmm. the hot zone it's easy to kind of dissect and put you know where to put a street stand and stuff and so we go up there in, during turkey season, and we start working on the property. We start, you know, figuring stuff out, cutting limbs, putting up tree stands, looking for a sign, you know. I mean, so we start early in the year, and then in June, we actually are up there doing stuff. And so it's a, it's a, you know, I kind of go up and help them out just so I can have a place to <laughs> place to hunt, you know. So <laughs> it's uh, actually pretty cool. Yeah. So talk to us, talk to us, Eric, a little bit about your muzzleloader setup. What what kind of muzzleloader do you have, and then? You know, I think the big question, because we cannot put scopes or optics on our muzzleloaders here in Washington State, um, talk to us about your sights. Like, how did you pick your sights, and what are some of the really nice features that you like about your muzzleloader? So, yeah, you're right. Uh, there's, if you if you like, you know, you know, technology has come full circle. When I first started, you know, you had the old TC Hawkins, you know, and the old 54 caliber octagon barrel, you know, at the spitball. And I mean, that's, that's what all my buddies had. And they were doing the late season elk hunting back in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, that was kind of the, the cool part about muzzleloader back then. And, and so when I got into it, I was actually looking at, you know, maximizing my, my points. I had like, you know, 18 points for bull elk or something. And I was trying to get, you know, the odds I was putting in for bull, bull elk. Points. And so just trying to figure that out. Um, but I ended up getting a, a night bighorn. Um, it's been a really great muzzleloader. I've had a CVA, but this one, um, I really fell in love with cause it, I, it came with the thumb hole stock. Um, so I got a composite stock on it, but it's a 50 caliber muzzleloader. Um, I got, um, uh, I kind of shoot, uh, a different type of breech plug that, that, uh, it's got a, an opening for a musket cap. So I have a flamethrower nipple, which is a little bit bigger and I use musket caps and muzzleloaders have progressed over the, over the years. You know, it started out with like, you know, flintlock and, you know, and then number 11s, you know, that's what everybody's using caps. And now they, then they went, you know, musket caps were better than the number 11s because you had more, more flash and into the pan, you know, with the new, new stuff. And you, and you couldn't use, you know, you know uh, the 209 primers now they're illegal 
Um, so there's lots of options out there now. The CVA's lineup has some. The white muzzleloaders have some. But I love the bighorn, and I, I don't even know if they make it anymore, but uh, it's been really good to me, and I've, I've just got accustomed to using it a lot. So the load I use is uh, I use powder, so I use a 777 powder, um, and uh, I use 90 grains of it, and I use a 300 uh, Hornady SST bullet with a sabo and uh it's been a really good load and it's accurate out to 100 yards mm-hmm. and uh you know a lot of guys uh i tried the pellets and stuff and i found that it was a faster my gun just shot better with the powder so i've always stuck with the powder um but you can get now they now they have the pellets are normally in in uh, 50 grain you know pellets or you can now get them in 30 grain so you can actually dial in a specific load for the pellets now and they have different makes and technology just kind of catching up with you know the muzzle loading world and making them more like rifles you know which kind of takes the primitive side out of it but you know you get that extra benefit you know after archery season you know with getting that extra distance so you know, I still hunt like I'm an archery hunter. I try to get as close as I can. But, sure. You know, I'm sitting at a tree stand. It's nice to know that you can actually shoot 100 yards if you need to. You know, and yeah, yeah. Down in the down in the blues, uh, you might be a can- across a canyon, and so it's nice to you know practice out there. I shot a white tail at 150 yards down there on a two cannon uh, tag that I had a few years ago with that same muzzleloader, and and it, and I and the site I use is a Williams peep site, and the biggest thing with the the peep site. You know, they're pretty standard, and you can get a certain eyepiece that's a certain size. They have different size eyepieces, so you can have a bigger arbor to see through. But the, the trick with that, that sight was the fiber optic front sight. And the night rifles made a, a really small diameter. Uh, it was different than the standard one that you bought with the gun. It's actually a really small diameter uh, front sight. that So it didn't cover the deer. You know, at 100 yards, you can right. actually see the deer still, you know, and that's, right. that's part of the problem with some of them. Now they have bullseye sights and some different stuff with technology now, but but that's my setup. I have a peep sight with a Dwayne's peep sight. It's got windage and, and you know, and oh. elevation adjustment, so I can really sight it in and get it accurate with that load, and and it's uh, just nice to have. You've really, you've really piqued my interest now, Eric, on, on the powder. So <laughs> yeah. I, I reload and for rifles, right? Yeah. And so, you know, for me, a tenth of a grain can be, you know, the difference between, um, you Huge. know, an inch group and a quarter inch group. And so, right. you know, I'm just curious, when you dialed in and you said you got to, I think you said 90 grains of powder, um, how did you go about that process of finding the right amount of powder and when you were sighting in your muzzleloader, did you actually throw a scope on there to just try different types of powders or different bullets to determine which one shot the best? Or how, what was your approach? Yeah, I just kind of went old school. You know, I started, you know, at 50 yards and got my gun on. And then, then after that, I uh, kind of played around with, like, the Hornady SSTs. They come in a 250 grain and a 300. And, and you know, for deer hunting, you know, you think a three fifty, you know, a two hundred and fifty grain with one hundred and fifty uh, or three pellets, you know, which a lot of guys were using back in Montana, trying to shoot two hundred yards at a mule deer, you know, across the canyon. Yeah, you know, they're trying to make these like rifles, right? And but they, but they weren't. Um, you know, some guys can get really accurate with with their with their setups, but other states, you know, you could still use the two hundred nines. I think you can still get there with some of the new technology. But with my gun, I just kind of, I kind of played around with the different, you know, I started with 100 grains of powder, amped it up to 125, uh, that just wasn't doing it. And then I talked to a, a couple of guys that, uh, they said, well, try less. And less is sometimes better to start there and then move up. And so I, I went down to 90 grains and boy, and I moved that over to the 300 grain bullet and that 300 grain bullet and that 90, you don't think that 90 grains is enough to push that thing out, but it's so accurate, it's better than the 250 grain bullet. So it was just playing around. It was actually taking a lot of, you know, muzzleloader, sighting in muzzleloader is kind of a pain in the butt because you have to, you know, with the new powders, you, you don't have to clean. Like in the old days with the, the 54 Hawkins and stuff, you had to soap them down and clean them right. out of the bathtub. And, 
you know, get get everything clean and then shoot them a couple times and then try to get, you know, a good group and figure it out and then clean them again. Well, the new powders, I can, and the, and the Sabbaths, you know, they're, I can go maybe five to seven shots and then, then I usually give it a good cleaning. And, and so I try to shoot it when it's clean. Uh, and I try to shoot it before I go out every year just to make sure it's on and, and uh, just kind of try to keep up, you know, with, making sure everything's just just right before I head out. So you're talking about technology as it weighs in here on muzzleloader and and uh, you know with um, with a bolt action rifles misfires are a rarity uh, unless you know you uh, reload like Tommy does and once in a while you might screw things up and just you know you have some difficulties there but for the most part it's pretty dependable. Talk if you would a little right. bit about the modernization and the evolution of the muzzleloader and how technology has lent its hand in kind of getting away from mishaps and or does weather still weigh in on, you know, opportunity for failure, especially over here on the wet side of the state. You were talking about the drought conditions over there, but how about for guys over right. here on this side that are going to be out in that inclement weather uh, muzzle loading? Anything that they should be uh, cautionary of? Yeah, the, the, the old days, you know, they tried to keep uh, – you know, things as dry as they could, you know, mm-hmm. with the flintlock stuff and the powder in the pan, you know, all that, all that you know, good the stuff. Technology. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, we, with the newer, now that 209s are, uh, the, you know, allowed and you don't have to have, you know, it's, they took the, took away the exposed to the elements language, um, which allows you to have some of those break action muzzleloaders, I believe. So, you know, things are a little bit weather tight. You know, the disc, the little, the little 209 discs that you use for the 209 primers are a little bit more weather tight than mm. the musket caps. I always keep caps in my pocket, you know, and I'm always changing them because, you know, you never, I've had, I've had, you know, them just not go off or keep the powder, you know, you know, it just won't take the, you know, if it's wet or humid out, you know, or you're hunting mule deer in the, in the fall or in the rainstorm or, you know, it happens, you know, um, but it's, it's basically just trying to make sure you got, you know, you try to keep that as dry as possible when you're out there. But with the new, the new technology guys are able, like TC had a break action one uh, that you just break it open, put the primer in. I mean, it was really sealed up, you know, but uh, the one I have with the night bighorn, it's, it's got a a pullback uh, hammer and uh, it's exposed, you know, it's got a two safety, which I really like. And, uh, it's i've never had it um get too wet you know to where over here you know um but i i I know i understand you know over there on the west side when you're hunting roosevelt's you know down on the peninsula or you know trying to find an elk down there out of out of raymond or something you know i know how wet it can be and um you know the newer the newer uh musket caps and my nipple actually comes back a little bit further for those musket caps and that's why i like it because it really seals it compared to like a small a number 11 or yeah absolutely uh you know fantastic uh insightful content here i mean you really uh broke it down for folks that might be entertaining the idea of getting into muzzleloader i know i certainly I'm on that path for next year. It's something I want to now take on, step into that realm. Mm-hmm. Tommy has uh, expressed mm-hmm. interest as well. So we may be tapping cool. into your nugget a little bit more as we uh, fine-tune our selection and direction we head with this whole thing. So can't thank you enough for taking a little time this evening, Eric. Good content as always. And uh, don't, be, uh, don't be surprised when the phone rings because I want to start talking into <laughs> a little bit of fall uh, walleye coming up with you. That's for sure. Can I say one one quick thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one one quick tip that I uh, the new Onyx app that I use it all the time, but they have they now have a fire layer on that app, and it actually you know the fires this year you know been were horrendous. You know they yeah. they removed a lot, but when you guys are out scouting for elk areas, you know pay attention to where these fires are happening because you know kind of like mushroom pickers, you know they're looking mm-hmm. for the the right morel areas, well there's a few areas that burned this year that have never burned in a long time and mm. that, and they're in elk areas, you know, so it's, um, it's good to pay attention to, you know, opportunities for, to scout in the future, you know, some of those areas that might open up for elk because, uh, uh, what we found out on a lot of the areas up North is those elk like to move through that timber as freely as possible. Mm. And if they, 
you know, they don't like roads, but they actually like, you know, they don't like, you know, a lot of deadfall either. So, sure. you know, the fire actually does enhance some of those areas. So, um, it's just a, it's just kind of a cool layer tip on the Onyx app that they, they added that, you know, you got historic wildfires and then the active ones. So, right. Uh, I've been paying attention to where some of those are at already. Yeah. So for yeah, next good year. point. That is a good point. Good it's going to drive a lot yep. of new growth too. Absolutely. Right. All right, Eric. Yeah. Well, hey man, get a little rest uh, now that you're back from your hunt yeah. and get your uh, get your ass back to work. So that's how that goes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks you for taking time, but yeah, we'll yeah, be in touch. Again. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. See ya. All right, Eric Broughton. Uh, he actually is a is like a land management and. Uh, you know, habitat habitat guy for WDFW. Does oh, phenomenal perfect. work with him. Yeah, he's yep. really he's really in tune with uh, habitat and what's going on, especially over there on the east side in his area where he works. So you want to start talking scientific stuff with him and biology and things. Mm-hmm. He can go deep on you real quick. So uh, anyway, always good information with him. And stay tuned because uh, as we roll into later in the fall here and he starts fishing those cold waters for those walleye, those big walleye, uh, we will definitely get him back here on the phones. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish on Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and, of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and Chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.